of who you are in Christ, where you stand in Christ, take a look at your relationship with him and how you will be able to be brought closer to Christ today. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you now for the word that we're getting ready to bring forth, God. God, we thank you even now that you are growing us in your grace. You are strengthening us in your love. You are strengthening us in your mercy. You, are prov- you have provided everything that we need. You have given us salvation, God, beyond what we can comprehend, beyond what we can understand or grasp, God. So we thank you now as we prepare for this word, God, that you are bringing us into one mind, one spirit, sound in our understanding of you, God. We thank you now that we will be better for having heard this sermon today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said amen. So, as I said, I've been preparing and working on and anticipating this sermon since literally last Sunday. Um, And in fact, this sermon will actually conclude our time in the book of Ephesians. So we've been on quite a trip for the past few months in the book of Ephesians, and we're going to conclude this today, and I'm excited about it. Next week, we'll begin our new series, which will be entitled Answers from Genesis. And when we begin that sermon, um, that sermon would just include all the things, all the questions that many of us have about um, our faith and God existing. So I'll be excited about that. But today, however, we will focus on one of the most essential and vulnerable aspects of our Christianity. Hence the title today. Will you pray for me? Will you pray for me? These five little words are the words that we all often feel, but very often we never, we never say them. They are what we think, but yet we fail often to communicate. Yes, these five simple words are quite simply too difficult for us to often get out of our mouths. While this is a difficult obstacle for all Christians to overcome, I've noticed it quite often in my brothers in the faith. There is this Bible study I attend every Sunday morning, and Saturday morning rather, and every Saturday morning I gather there with these many of these 80-plus-year-old men. I'm the youngest one in that room. And we gather together. There's this prayer list that goes around every, every Saturday. And when that prayer list goes around and it gets to me, I always check it. Just see what everybody else needs prayer for. And what I often notice is that they will say things like, prayer for my wife. You pray for my wife. She's going through a, a health issue. Or will you pray for my, my brother? He's lost and he needs salvation. Or will you pray for my son? Or will you pray for my whatever? They, they're struggling in their faith. But what I often notice is that very few of them actually say, will you pray for me? Will you pray for me? See, that's the nature of these. And these are seasoned and mature Christian men who have served the Lord faithfully some for 60 years. And many of them cannot express that vulnerability among their Christian brothers and just say these words, will you pray for me? 
So why is it so seemingly difficult in the church specifically that we will ask people, will you pray for us? See, I think it's the same reason for all of us. See, in the world, it's been ingratiated in us that we have to be strong. We have to be resilient. As Christians, we can't show that we struggle. We can't show that we are vulnerable in areas. We have to present ourselves as impenetrable. But the problem is with that is that when you present yourself that way, very often that's what people expect of you. And when you come to a time when you need sincere and genuine prayer, your pride has become so strong that you can't even ask for it. See, we have come up with this idea that it is weakness if we express that we are in fact in need. The other pitfall, however, is that many times as Christians, because we are so accustomed to mind the need of others, that oftentimes we view it as self-centered if we would dare ask for prayer specifically for ourselves. Very recently I've seen on social media, you've probably seen it too, it promulgated about the strong friend. What does that mean? There's always this one strong friend that never shows that they're going through anything, that never shows that they're weak, that never shows that they're in need, that never shows that they have a desire. And it says, remember to pray for the strong friend. Well, I have breaking news. Everybody in this room at some point in our lives has attempted to be the strong friend. Every one of us have always tried to be the person that prays for everybody else, that takes care of everybody else, but never stops and says, wait a minute, will you pray for me? Why are those words so difficult for us to communicate? Listen, we left off last week by closing our scripture out with Paul saying that he asked the Christians around him not to lose heart over his suffering. And his persecution. Then as we come to verse 14, Paul literally begins to pray. And that's where we're going to pick up today in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. And it reads, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul's prayer, and that's what it is. Paul's prayer here is exemplary. 
Now, you may be thinking, wait a minute, Paul is not asking for prayer here. Paul is the one who is praying, and you may even argue that Paul is the one who needed prayer the most. And he was. Remember, Paul has been in prison where he is the past two years, but he's been in prison for the past five years. Just this weekend, I was watching the biography of Paul on on television and it showed us the immense amount of pain that Paul went through because of his persecution, because of the gospel. The Bible shows us that he had been flogged and beaten and he had been flogged so many times that Paul at this point in his life, about 64 years old, can't even stand up straight. Yet Paul is here in prison praying for other people. Now, what I want you to understand is that everybody in this room wants to be the Paul that's praying for the other people. But the reality is is that we're all the people that Paul was praying for. Paul prayed that they would not lose heart because of his suffering and his persecution. See, remember, when we talked about prayer being something that Christians should always constantly do, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.16 that we are to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, give thanks in circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Luke 18 and 1 says that Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and to not lose heart. And so Paul is praying here for the exact same reason. He is worried that the other Christians in the body will see what he is enduring and that it would discourage them in the faith. So Paul prays his proactive prayer saying that they will not be disappointed, that they will not lose heart because he knows that that is the likelihood of what will happen. See, I believe that one of the downfalls that we face many, many times as strong Christians is that we want to be Paul and pray for all those who lose heart. But we never want to be honest enough with ourselves and say, I lose heart sometimes. I am disappointed sometimes. I am discouraged sometimes. And I can't be strong today. I need prayer. I am not, even as the pastor of this church, above this confession. There are many, many days where I feel the intense labor of the gospel. And I have to tell my brothers and sisters, I need prayer. See, what we often feel in our physical body is a sign of our spiritual weariness. And so we may ask, will you, my knees are hurting, will you pray for my knees or my back or this or that? But what you really need is to be undergirded in your spirit. It's your spirit that needs to be strengthened. See, we'll pray for an ache, we'll pray for a car, we'll tell you to pray for our job, we'll even tell you to pray for our family members. But how often do any of us say, I am weak? I am losing hope, I am losing heart, and I am losing faith. Will you pray for me? So as I begin the sermon points today,
they are all going to be in the form of questions. They're all going to be in the form of questions. And when I ask you the question or the point, I'm going to give you the answer. I want you to write these down with intent. Because what I want to help you do is avoid the pitfall of becoming the strong Christian who tries to do for everybody else, but never confesses that you are weak in your own faith. The first one today, who should I ask to pray? Who should I ask to pray? It's a great question, right? (laughs) Who should you ask to pray? This is the answer. You should ask mature Christians. That's who should be praying for you. Mature Christians should be praying for you. There is no doubt Paul was a mature Christian and he knew how to pray because of that maturity. Listen, that cannot be overlooked. We need people who will pray. That's the first thing. And we need people who know what we need to be prayed for. How often do we as Christians, when someone says that they need prayer and we respond, respond, I'll be praying for you. Do we actually pray for these people? Listen, prayer is not arbitrary. It is not something we just say we're going to do. We must surround ourselves with people who will pray and people who know how to pray. Remember, when Moses was leading the Israelites, they made a golden calf. When they made that golden calf, they made God so angry that he decided he was going to kill them all. And then what happened? Moses prayed. Now, you may be thinking, wait a minute, we're getting in some dangerous territory, and we are not. But it may seem like, well, wait a minute, you always tell us that God is sovereign. So if God was going to destroy them, how can Moses praying stop him from doing that? Let me explain it to you like this. God knows that the just the just punishment for sin is his wrath, which brings about destruction. But God also tells us that his just response to the prayer of the righteous is that it avails much. See, there's this marrying of God's will based on what he already knows will happen. The only reason God tells Moses that he's going to destroy the Israelites is because that is the proper response to his wrath, to sin. And he also knows that Moses is going to pray. And that is also God's proper response to prayer. See, no matter how you try to box God in, he is always just and he is always righteous. And nothing that he does should take us by surprise. So, he's telling us exactly what we think he's saying. You say, well, I thought God wasn't a respecter of persons. No, God is not a respecter of persons, but he is a respecter of prayer. And there are certain prayers that he hears from certain people and there are prayers that he does not hear at all. Now you may say, now wait, now wait a minute. That's not true. God hears a sinner prayer. Let's see this. Proverbs 15 and 29. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. 
What about James 5 and 15? And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Okay, what about this one? First Peter chapter three and twelve. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? See, we see here that God only hears and responds to the prayers of the righteous. So that means if you need prayer, you can't just call up your brother who isn't a Christian. You can't just call up your friend who isn't professing their faith. You have to call up Christians that God will hear when they pray. You cannot just ask anybody to pray for you. That prayer goes nowhere. But he tells us that he hears the prayer of the righteous. That means we need to surround ourselves with people who God will hear when they pray and those who know how to pray. Paul said that he bowed his knees before the father. Now, the position in which you pray has little significance, but it was a sign of his humble submission to God that he would bow to God in prayer, that he was submitting himself to God. That brings us to our next question point. How should they pray? How should they pray? This is not a trick question and it certainly doesn't have a trick answer either. It is found here in the text when Paul prays. Paul says, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his, through, through his spirit in your inner being. So how should you pray? How should they pray? It's a quick answer. Effectively. Effectively. We need people who can pray effective prayers. Paul is praying that these people remain true to their faith. And so he prays according to the riches of his glory. He knows well enough to pray for those around him. But he's not praying for their physical condition. Paul is praying for their spiritual welfare. See... He says that he prayed to God that God may strengthen them according to the riches of his glory. God's riches in glory, just in case you don't know, they are unending, they are limitless, and they are available for every believer. Why would I pray for God to increase your tangible riches down here when he has limitless riches that are provided to us in glory? Those where they are not corrupted, those that do not end. See, this is important because as the physical or the emotional aspect of a person begins to decline and it weakens, we need God to strengthen our spiritual man on the inside. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 4 and 16. Again, so we do not lose heart. 
Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Look at this. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal We don't need people who only know how to pray for finances or physical health or success. We need people who know how to pray that we be strengthened in our spirits. If I'm in any kind of financial distress or health distress, if you pray that I get better, that doesn't necessarily mean that the effects on my spirit will improve. If there was something about any situation that caused my faith to weaken in God, don't pray for the situation. Pray for my spirit. Because if I get sick and it causes my faith in God to wane, that means that my faith was fickle in the first place. And God possibly sent this affliction to remind me, one, it's light. Two, it's momentary. But if a light momentary affliction can pull you out of your relationship with God, don't pray for that affliction. Pray for the spirit. See, we are strengthened and we are renewed. But it reminds us here that every day our flesh, our outer man is wasting away. The words that are used here are literally, it literally translates as if we are decaying as we live, which we are. Why would we invest in the condition of the physical man when every single day it is wasting away? Unfortunately, this becomes much more of a reality for me every day. I look in the mirror and I look at my chin and there's six more gray hairs there. There is nothing I can do about it. Beijing ain't going to help, all right? Because that doesn't solve the problem. It's the root that is the issue. Just like many times we see the effects of what may be going on in us, praying for the outside does not get to the root. Your spirit is the root of everything that you are. When he says, do not lose Hard. He's not talking about intellectually. He's talking about in your spirit. Do not lose your confidence in God. Yes, these afflictions are coming, but they are light and they are momentary. For what we see now is temporary. It is transient. But there is an eternal weight of glory that is being prepared for all of us. That is where our spirits will reside. Your body will not go to heaven with you. Your body will be in the ground, but your spirit is made alive and needs to be renewed day by day. So if I come to you and I say, will you pray for me? Listen, if you know how to pray, just remember, this is not an opportunity for you to play 21 questions, all right? If I say, will you pray for me? Will you just pray? Just pray. 
This is not a light into all the deep, deepest, darkest secrets into my life. If I ask you to pray, just pray. Listen, he then says, so that Christ will dwell in your hearts through faith. Notice how rich this prayer is. It is all about the condition of the spirit of the person. We need people who will love us enough to see beyond our facade of wholeness, our facade of wellness, and will pray that whatever we portray on the outside is actually going on on the inside. Not only will they pray that Christ is dwelling in your heart, but they also pray that you are rooted and grounded in his love. What kind of love is that? That is the altruistic, self-giving, self-sacrificing love that God has provided to all of us through Jesus Christ. Let's look at 1 John and 4, verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. And he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. By this is love, listen to this word, perfected with us. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. Paul says that they be grounded in love because that means that God is abiding with us and we are abiding in him and being led and directed by him. And when we are rooted in his love, believe it or not, that love is perfected in us. It is perfected in us. It's not perfected in our physical state. It is perfected in our spirits. Therefore, if I need someone to earnestly pray for me, then I also need that someone to pray in a way that renews what can be weakened. In time of great tests, these are not to pull us out of the love of God. These tests are here to force us deeper into the love of God. There are are the old saints that say, I wouldn't know that he was this if I hadn't gone through that. I wouldn't know that God could do this if I hadn't been through that. When we go through things, we see the depth and the height and the length and the breadth of God's love, which, by the way, we cannot comprehend at all. Because everything we, every time we think we have perfectly grasped an aspect of God's love, he shows us that we can still go deeper in his love. At my in-law's home, there is this tree. This is massive tree. And I think about it every time I go over there. Because this tree has these enormous roots and I'm not talking about like roots roots I'm talking about like roots the movie you got to watch it three days in a row that's how big these roots are and they are so thick and so big that they have discombobulated the concrete structure so that no matter what you try to do you can try to cut that tree off cut it down you cannot get those roots up 
Because somehow or another, they have grown deeper throughout time. And even what looked like it should have been resilient, even what looked like it should have been impenetrable, those roots have gone through the concrete and have found life and have found nourishment. And it found water and fresh soil. Just like that tree, so must our spirits get rooted deeper and deeper and deeper in the love of God. So that no matter what the impenetrable force may appear to be, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. It goes deeper and deeper and deeper. Just when you thought you had hit the bottom of his love, those roots go deeper than you can imagine. See, when we are going through things and I ask you to pray, pray that I be rooted deeper in the love of God so that when the winds of life blow, when turmoil hits, I may sway, I may bend, I may move, but those roots are steadfast, unmovable, always abounding. That's what we need. So I don't need shallow, cheap prayers that make me feel better. I need the kind of prayer that will make me be better in my spirit. That is what Paul prays. He says, God, let the roots of their hearts grow deeper into you. But then he moves on from saying, let the being rooted in his love to let his love be rooted in us. What is Paul talking about? All right. He says, let us be rooted in his love, but let his love be rooted in us. Doesn't it seem like those are the same thing? No, they're not. And that brings us to point number three. Why should they pray? Why should they pray? This is the answer. That you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's why. That's why people should pray. You see this? How beautiful it is. When I need someone to pray for me, I need them to pray that the love in me grows deeper in Christ, but also that Christ will grow deeper in me. That I see that I'm saved by his love. I'm tried by his love. I'm sanctified by his love. And I'm held together by his love. So when the Bible says love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It means that we have grown to love the Lord in that way. In that capacity. With all of our hearts. With all of our souls. With all of our minds. And with all of our strength. That we have been rooted and grounded in his love. That we are comprehending the depths of God's love. Why is that important if someone is praying? Because whatever we go through is not supposed to pull us out of God's love. 
Whatever you may be dealing with right now, whether it is financial, emotional, physical, or even spiritual, it is not there to pull you out of God's love. It is there to force you deeper in his love. When someone goes through something, we immediately will question and and walk in bewilderment But God doesn't want us to wonder about why we are going through what we're going through. We know why we're going through what we're going through. Because God wants to increase our dependence on him. Listen, many of us have lived our lives long enough to realize that it is we are not here because we are financially able to be here. We are not here because we have perfect health. But in all those things, we have learned that even when we thought those things were what was carrying us, God put a hold on those things and he reminded us, no, baby, it's me. I am the one who's been carrying you the whole time. That means he doesn't want us to be confused about our life or his happenings, but he wants us to have the strength to comprehend the breadth of that love, the height of that love, the depth of that love. But this is just not in our human reasoning. He says that it surpasses knowledge. It surpasses what we can comprehend. You ever met those saints that when they go through things, there is this amount of peace that surpasses understanding and you can fashion how they have that peace. But they tell you things like I've been through worse and God has proven himself faithful to me. That is why God sends what he sends. Paul prayed about his own affliction and God just responded, my grace is sufficient. I could remove the thorn, but my grace is enough. God, let us get to the point where we realize that God's grace is enough. Nothing else is. He says that it surpasses knowledge that we may be filled with the fullness of God. That is why people should pray. And that is why we should ask them to pray. This is a petition that God honors. It glorifies him when we have people pray. But it also sanctifies us. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look at that. He's saying contrary to the height and depth of everything else that may come, you will be able to comprehend the height and the depth 
and the breadth and the length and the magnitude of his love. So much so that the height of anything else, the length of anything else, nothing else will be able to pull you out of the love of God. That is why we have people pray so that when it looks real big, his love is deeper than that. When it looks real wide, the breadth of his love is wider than that. God is bigger than anything else that I can face. God is so much bigger. God, let us get to the point where we face our giants and we brag to our giants about the magnitude of our God. No, giant, you are big. You are trying me, but my God is bigger. Listen, that is not some prosperity gospel foolishness. That's just the truth. God is bigger than we can imagine him or fathom him. We have to get to the point where we grow in the depths of his love. There is nothing that can drive a wedge between the love that God has for us. He loved us so much that the only begotten son that he had, he crucified him for us. What can stand against that kind of love? Nothing can. No height. No depth, no threat, no sword, nothing can comprehend that love. That's who we serve. That's why I can look at the enemy in his face and say, you may be able to kill the body, but you can't do nothing with my soul. My soul belongs to God. And when Paul prays about a sword, this is not very long before he was beheaded for the faith. He said, but for me to live is Christ. But even if I die, it is eternal gain. Because I can comprehend the depth of his love. So if I got to go through a little down here to have forever up there, I will. Then he says, when he says here, that we may be filled with the fullness of God. Filled with the fullness of God. This terminology isn't the same as we see filled with the spirit. This means instead of us being filled with the fullness of God, we are filled unto the fullness of God. That is a discernible difference such as if we are saved by works or saved unto good works. Jesus came to us in the fullness of God. And we seek to be at the point that we will be completely filled with his fullness. And this is something that we have guaranteed for us in eternity. We are being filled, but there will come a day when we will be filled with the fullness of God. That when we look at him, we will see ourselves because we will be like him. So Paul is saying here that he prays that they will comprehend the love of God until we come into the fullness of God. Finally, Paul closes this prayer out in a remarkable fashion. And I've seen this text misused so many times that it actually undermines what Paul was truly saying here. This is not prosperity. This is not about money. 
This is not about riches. This is not about fame. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now, as we close, just let me break down just a few things here. After Paul prayed, he solidifies it. And this is why, again, it is important to have people who pray, who know how to pray and know why they pray. Because after praying that they grow in God, be rooted in his love, have his love rooted in them, he then says, now to him who is able. What is he able to do? What is he saying? He tells us he is able to do what we ask. But he's able to exceed that. If I'm wasting my prayers on a car or on money, I may be missing the opportunity to be coming into the fullness of God. To richly enjoy his presence. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him always. Why would I waste it on shallow prayers getting in a car when I could get in him and that he could get in me? So even if I pray, God, allow me to comprehend the depth and the breadth and the length and the height of your love. Paul says, but he's able to do more than that. Look at this. So we understand that he's able to answer our prayers beyond what we even ask for. But Paul says, not only does he answer what you ask, he is able to answer what you never get out of your brain into your lips. Even if you think it, he can do it. So even if I have a thought about I'm breaking down, I'm losing faith, I'm losing heart, God in his faithfulness can still hear and honor that prayer. Even if I'm too weak to admit that I'm weak. God can still discern my thoughts. Because remember, there are times we don't know what to pray. But what does the Bible say? The Spirit makes intercession for us. That when we don't know what to pray, Jesus Christ himself, our mediator, our permanent intercessor, will step in between us and God and speak on our behalf. And on those days, I don't know about you, but I have them. When you wake up and you feel spiritual heaviness, Jesus Christ has already intervened and prayed for us. He is interceding for us. 
and he can exceed even what we think. But he does it. This is beautiful. According to the power that is already working in us, that is the power of the Holy Spirit, which is consecrating us, but the Spirit is also forming us, and we have that power. That's, that power is the same power that snatched Jesus out of the grave. It's working in us. Let's pray.